Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This series, we're focusing on female financial independence, looking towards a stronger financial future. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the show, and please do connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk. So welcome to today's show, and I'm talking to the wonderful Vicky Wachey, which we all need a bit of a Wachey in our life. Um, I love the surname. It's obviously French, right, Vicky? Oh, and my dad had an Italian passport, so it's sort of really a, a European Heinz 47 job, but... Perfect. Yeah, Amazing. some French too. <laughs> love it. Um, it's much more... Mine's Robertson, obviously, and it's uh, pretty obvious it's Scottish, so... yeah. So it just sounds very, uh, very elegant. Um, <laughs> so you started investing in property in 2008 and you have been named the Telegraph's top UK's 25 most influential people in property. Wow. An inspiring speaker, mentor and author of five books. I've done two. You're five. <laughs> You've beaten me, including finalist in the Business Book Awards in March 2020. And in March 2020, um, Vicky also moved from public speaking to be invited as a regular podcast um, across Europe in the Middle East, Australia, America and Canada, as well as the UK. Amazing. She's been featured in The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Daily Mail. Oh, it goes on and on. The BBC. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today, Vicky Wache. I'd love, love to hear more about you and your story. But today we're going to be talking about how to use property to become financially independent and that's male or female but obviously the podcast is focused on females and this particular theme at the moment is around female financial independence so just to kick us off Vicky like tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your money journey or your property journey how have hmm. you got to where you are okay so very briefly because given how much stuff I've done you can see how long I could talk for and I know that we're limited so You'll have to catch up on the gaps in between, but did what everybody did. Went to school, got a job because that's what we're taught to do. Um, I went to university late. I didn't go to university till I was 28 because in that time I did, again, what most people do, got married, had kids. What not everybody does, got divorced. (laughs) Um, And only when I got divorced did I then go to university. Um, Loved university, realised where I had thought I was stupid at school. Um, I ended up with a first class honours in my first degree and went on and did a master's and then became a university lecturer. So I'm still in the, and I'm not going to use the word rut because I think think that's derogatory, but I'm still in the track that we are all brought up to do. Get a job. You know, that's, school wants us to get a job. School doesn't say, go out and invest in property or doesn't say start your own business which is what you've done Mm. you've got to break out of the normal mold to do that yeah and I think really the divorce was the thing that did that for me ended up homeless sounds so dramatic doesn't it not homeless so we had a house (laughs) this sounds awful thing to say had a house forgot to pay the mortgage didn't pay the mortgage I didn't think about paying the mortgage. I thought he was paying the mortgage. He didn't pay the mortgage. Surprise, surprise, we got repossessed. Um, ended up that was, having... That down to the relationship ownership, right? You sort of, in terms of, you looked after the kids, he did the, the financial stuff, right? Totally, 
totally. so different and that, you are that's now. a real point to make isn't it yeah that's so different that I think a lot of women tend to do that that sort of okay I'll, I'll just look after well it's not just it's a lot it's yeah. a lot to, lot to be looking after the kids and making sure they're healthfully every day and getting them to school on time and have they got the done their homework and they've got a play coming up and they've got to change a uniform that day and they need change for this and it's a lot right so yeah let's not beat ourselves up when we make some of these decisions oh, no. I think what I've recognized with hindsight that actually, again, and maybe this is not a formal education thing, but a societal education, that we fall into stereotypes or avatars. The man is the financial provider and the woman is the home giver. And we even have that sometimes when they do these periodic debates about childcare. Any woman deciding to have a career and put her children in childcare is seen to be a bad mother. And and it's so prehistoric that actually if you look back in history yeah and this is a whole nother podcast but about how women have been treated that we were things that were sold we were no exactly that that political you know exactly that exactly that and 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 still today I mean that's this is not going on to your property journey but I think it's such an, an important point is even today those stereotypical are still around still now yeah um, and there's then the women that I hope are listening to this show are women that want to step out of that they want to show up for something for themselves and we can hopefully inspire them to make some yeah. change that even if they inspire their children that, that that for something different for themselves and to create a new paradigm that's not society repeating itself and it's not a generational baton that we're passing on to the next generation and the next generation totally agree totally agree and I, and I think the thing is here just because my journey was marriage, house repossessed, divorce, then the word homeless, but I wasn't, I was really, I went back and lived with my parents and then I went into social housing. So I became a benefit tenant and then I went to university and then I started again. And now look at me out the other side. I'm an author, a business owner. Yes. In the telegraph, blah, blah, you know, all of that. I'm I'm actually still the same person you don't have to do those things in a linear fashion Mm. and certainly as a result of this podcast you don't have to get divorced you don't have to have your house (laughs) repossessed (laughs) all you need to do or what I would like for the listeners at the end of this is to be more conscious of their own personal financial position their own role and responsibility within the family finances and then if you want to do anything brave, be brave about stepping forward and saying to your partner, and if you happen to be a man listening, tell your wife, tell your sisters, tell your daughters, let's talk (laughs) about money. Yeah. Let's talk about money. I always, and I think it was because I was so conscious how little we had when we were on benefits. And I was, I had a, a, two daughters age one and three when I when I fell into benefits and social housing and then came back out of that that I counted every 10p that we spent on a notepad and my children somehow thought that we were rich when we had 250 pounds a month to live on that paid for food and utility bills and travel and everything and I budgeted us to the to the micro penny yeah wow but it was something um, you have to, right? People live within their means. So you get a pay rise and then you get a bonus at work and then you get a salary increase and you just, we carry on um, spending more and spending more and spending more. And I had a great conversation with one of my really close friends the other day and she's just gone back to work 
which is amazing to hear. It's taken a few years for her to be able to do it and um, to make sure she's got the right support, having the right kind of boss and the right kind of, well, she's an amazing partner anyway, but he, he to be ready for it as much as she was and the children were. Um, and they're basically taking her salary and they're saving it all. Like it's a family thing, like between them. So, and I think that's kind of cool. It's amazing. And they said, well, at the end of, you know, in a year's time, we're going to have a massive lump sum of money sitting there. Mm-hmm. And, and not enough people do that. We tend to go, oh, let's upgrade the car and let's go on that holiday and let's do this and let's do that. And, and there's two extremes there, right? There's one extreme to the next. It's finding what's the balance for you. Um, but one of the things that she could look at doing at some stage is taking that salary and investing it and investing it in property or investing it in a pension or investing it in whatever right so there's things that we start to do when you have that surplus when you have that ability when you're not counting the 10p coins that then you can start moving up that scale so that must have been a point when, when was that point for you and when did when did you start investing in property then so I was at university until 1995 and then I went into like a 10 or 11 year batch of work as a university lecturer and was made redundant in 2006. And during that time, I was doing, as you say, living within the means of the budget and the wages that I had. I wasn't really saving. I had some reserves, but nothing that would allow me to invest in property. And then I think for me, it was that point at which I realized I was financially vulnerable. I've been poodling along for 11 years loved my job as a university lecturer, had enough money, more than enough money for us to, you know, have great holidays and go off to South Africa and all this stuff. And then bang, it stopped. And just so shocked to realise almost like yet again, because previously it was my husband and now it's my boss can affect the quality of my life by switching off the money tap. Mm. And thought, that's it. I'm never going to I'm never going to put myself in this position again. Didn't know what the answer was, but just knew that I wasn't going to be in that position again. And so eventually, I think it's almost like you either take the glasses off or put the glasses on. You start to see things differently. You don't know necessarily what the goal is because you might not have the language and you stumble for a bit going, And of course, I didn't call it financial vulnerability at the time. And I didn't set out to invest in property. I just didn't like the feeling I had, knew it was about not having enough money or any money. And so how could I change this? And so the more that sentence, which is very, very bland, how can I change this? How can I change this? I'm not really narrowing down the search. And then things start to appear and you go, oh, Is that something that could help me change it? Yes, no. If yes, keep. If no, discard. If yes, keep. What words have I learned? What have I learned from this that I've seen, read, heard, spoken about? And now how can I improve my question? And you get a better question, a better question, a better question. And then, of course, if you listen to a podcast like this, sorry, Rebecca, you jump right ahead to hearing somebody else's question and you go, all right, well, I'm not going to wait for 11 years. I'm going to use Vicky's question of how can I make sure I'm not financially vulnerable should anything else happen? And that doesn't have to be death, divorce, losing your job. Look at the pandemic. For a lot of people, particularly some small business owners or some self-employed people, and often women might take on jobs like being um, beauty therapists or coaches or massage. They work as a sole trader. There Mm -hmm. was no furlough scheme. And then 
all of the money's been wiped out. And this time it wasn't love. It was a virus. Yeah, sure. So anything could get you. Yeah. So what was your first property? When did you when did you realise that? Like, did you just did it just the idea pluck from the sky or did you see something? An advert, yeah, I'm, or did you... I'm not sure exactly what came before this, but my sister was going to a meeting about pensions and I didn't have one. Uh, and therefore, I'm not quite sure why I went, but I went. <laughs> and one of the men talking from the stage was talking about how you can put property into a pension. Mm-hmm. And we got chatting to him. And again, another awful thing. Don't do it this way. He seemed very nice. So we borrowed 40,000 and I'll explain in a minute. And we gave him some money and he got us a flat. That's not the way to do it. You use your due diligence. You check it all out properly. Like we've had conversations before. But, you know, luckily I met a nice and a decent man. And when I gave him the money, I actually got something that it was worth it. But what we did was we heard property. And that was the moment where, that word came in and it was like a Jenga brick everything went and slotted into place I went oh yes you know so with my grandparents house they had land we thought about extending on it we thought about building houses on it and then when we moved here we were tenants and we thought oh how do other people rent houses out because we didn't know about buy to let certainly back in the 80s and back in the 90s in the way that we do now and then I don't know, the next thing came up and we thought, oh, yes, that that word property makes sense of all these little things. Actually, all the times property had appeared in my history, but I hadn't had the capacity to understand it. So it just fit. It just felt right. I love the maths of it. Um, I love the leverage of it. The fact that you can put in 25 percent of your money and somebody else will lend you. 75% of your money and therefore instead of buying one whole one you can buy for I just I love it love it turned around to my dad and said can we borrow some money to buy a flat and he went okay uh, and he happened to have some money saved up at the time he lent my sister and I 40,000 pounds hey ho flat number one and then flat number two and three came because now I had this new understanding this new language I was more aware of things that I was hearing and seeing. And before I knew it, having failed phenomenally at A-level economics, because that's a whole nother story, I now had essences and trails of that economics lesson, awareness of the fact that America was going mental and banks were collapsing and, and a feeling again that, this meant something, but I didn't have all the words to explain it. I knew something was coming because whatever happens there happens here a bit later. And I knew something was coming, didn't fully understand what it was, but remortgaged our first flat, remortgaged mine and Bob's house and immediately went and bought two more properties because the prices were right. The prices hadn't risen. Right. The prices were pretty much the same as they'd been three years earlier. The math still made sense, but I felt like something was coming and I needed to do something that must have been what 2006 2007 yeah 2004 for the first one and 2007 for the second one literally remortgaged over the summer and bought the properties in that autumn and almost like a month later two months later we had a new word called global recession yeah and the recession was officially announced in the UK in April maybe June actually 2008 
Yeah. Um, so great timing. So there's a lot of um, things that have helped you along the way there, right? There's dad, there's that intuition kicking in about timing. Um, but you've had tough lessons in that you possibly wasted some money, like trusting the wrong people, which is all all part of it. So talking about like how to use property to become financially independent but really how can people start so we've talked about there where you've you know in borrowed some money or you might have an, an inheritance or you might, might even have a divorce or you might have um I don't know, but a bonus at work or you might have a business for example you've accumulated some money but I, I do feel like it that's not not say it's obvious but it's a little bit more obvious right where you go okay you've got this capital down and being a regulated financial advisor, I've heard lots of scary stories in regards to property where you put no money down and go and buy, you know, you can start building your property portfolio. Yeah. And I've heard, I've, I've gone to events to see what people are talking about, um, to find out about um, starting in property. And there's a very well-known, and I won't say their name, they don't trade quite the same way as they used to, but they used to do massive property events. And they would do courses worth thousands of pounds teaching people basically how to go and buy property. Um, but not, not buying property in the conventional way. You're basically buying a property off somebody that already owns it and leasing it or renting it back out to them. Yeah. So I, I know exactly where you were. You were. This is the whole of the, the, the swing up that went from 2008, probably through to about 2014. So the, the example that you're talking about is something called um sale and rent back so you would buy a house and then you would rent it back to them that's illegal because the sharks just now it is then yeah. i don't think it was no 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 it wasn't but i think the thing is that it does hold true if ever you hear something that's too good to be true check it out yeah, you know definitely. buying with no money to, how could if if you could buy literally if you could buy property with no money down and make loads of money out of it. Why wasn't everyone in the world doing that? And even if everyone in the world did that, then everybody would own lots of properties, more properties than there were enough people to live in. Nobody would be homeless. Nobody would be on benefit. It, it's, it's not, it can't work. There's got to be a catch. And there is. And, and we started off with a, a potential deal in Manchester where we were going to buy a flat for think 225,000 something like that new build flat um but we would only have to put 3000 pounds down and I'm going oh you know mathematically I'm feeling uncomfortable here but my friend at the time was again in another one of these companies and it's and we won't mention their name and they're long gone um she'd signed up for the membership of the company and they were getting all these off-plan deals and all this stuff going on and when we did the maths, yes, you could only put down £3,000 to buy the property, but then you were having to feed the mortgage. So when you rented it out, the rent was less yeah. than the mortgage. So every, so not only were you putting down money, cash of yours, you yeah. were, more importantly, you were taking on £225,000 worth of debt for which you were liable, mm. which then had a mortgage payment that you had to pay as well as, and remember that mortgage payment was only the interest you still had to owe the capital. Yeah. And then you were going to rent it out to someone who may or may not pay the rent, may or may not take care of the property, but the rent wasn't even going to cover your costs. And so you were going to borrow over 200,000 pounds and then pay Crazy. 
500 pounds a month that's not an investment so it's very much about the maths and I think probably your if I imply what your question was it's all well and good if you've got money I'd still say the maths has to work you still have to do your due diligence I I believe that you should work with someone who can help you particularly for the first deal or the first few deals I I totally agree yeah sure read some books but but get help Mm. um so that you know what you're getting into because unlike a a bond or or the other methods that you were talking about that would be I give you some money you put it in an investment and depending on my risk profile the chances are it's either very safe fairly safe practically safe or maybe a little bit at risk but I'm not taking on a debt I'm taking I worked hard I've got this amount of money I'm putting it over there in the hope that I'll get more than in the bank that's Mm. that's safe and therefore some of the interest rates are quite low for that Mm. what you do with property is you take that money that you work very hard for that Mm. you didn't spend on other things that you want and you then multiply it with a debt yeah. To buy the house. Now, yeah. hopefully the house goes up in value. Hopefully the house is well managed. The tenant pays the rent and you maybe make a capital gain. But more importantly, the money coming in covers all the costs. Yeah. And you make, you know, typically a profit over, and income yeah, on it. Typically 7% net is, is what I can get my clients that are buying into limited companies. And that 7% is more than 1% or 2% in the bank. And so it's 5% for the risk and for the management and for the couple of hours a month that you've got to, you've got to manage it. Yeah. That's great. But, but the difference was one, I just put my cash in Two, I put my cash in and I took on a debt and the debt has to be serviced. And that's why property needs more thinking. Property isn't about get rich quick. It is a brick bank that will make you money on the long-term investment. You're talking okay. five to 10 years, preferably 10 years that you can get through more. cycles yeah exactly exactly i've got so many questions i know that i think would be really great to ask you so let me i've got a couple just the top of my head yeah um that i'd love to you love your opinion on but the first one is let's just say people haven't got 50 100 000 so in the southeast 25 percent can be as much as those figures i've just mentioned that's like a minimum deposit for a mortgage provider so people go up north and their money can go a little bit further. But do you feel that there's, if they, if, if, from a ratio perspective, if somebody's got, say, they earn, I'm going to make, keep it simple in terms of understanding my question, um, mainly for the listeners, is that there's, let's say they earn 10 grand, they've saved 10 grand. So they're going to take 10 grand and invest it as a deposit in a property up north. To me, that's quite a high risk for somebody earning quite a small salary to take basically their annual income and invest it in one asset, in one town, in one country, um, and take on a debt that they they can't ever service personally because their annual income is as much as their deposit. And the rent that's, if the person stops paying rent, what are they going to do? Have they got any backup? It's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a, hard, a, a risk. Very That's to me is a very high risk uh, strategy. So is there like a sweet spot where if you're, I'm not saying that you, you can give me an example of a figure, but if you say if you're earning, I don't know, 30, 40,000 and you've got 50,000, you're going to buy two properties up north. So you're putting over two different, or maybe different, two different towns or two different, slightly different properties in a slightly different area. Maybe one's a house and one's a flat, for example. Is there like a sweet spot with this? 
Um, I would say that without being rude about people who are on lower wages, that the way that you could invest in family if you've got a lower wage is you invest collectively as a family. This is perfectly normal. Why don't you and your sister, you and your brother, you and your mum and dad or vice versa, so that you are then not in a position where you are on a lower wage investing, like, as you say, a whole year's, even two years worth of money into one asset. Actually, what we did when we went the next level is we borrowed more money from my mum and dad by remortgaging the house now. So we paid back the 40,000 and then wanted to go again, borrowed 200,000 by releasing equity from my mum and dad's house because an unencumbered house, which my mum and dad, yeah, it's not an asset, it's a liability. My mum and dad were just on um, you know, normal pensions. So they they weren't flushed and, and doing cruises and things. So I could take that money, invest in property. And I do invest up north, invest up north. The tenants paid the buy-to-let mortgage. The profit paid my mum and dad's house mortgage. And then there was still a profit on the top. So my mum and dad got a bit of money and I got a bit of money. But that's a spreadsheet to work that out. And I would say to you at the moment, because of I don't know, just all the costs to do with investing. It's not about, I mean, so typically the properties I buy are around the 100,000 mark, maybe 110, that sort of thing. So let's say 100 to make the maths nice. It's not just 25 grand for the mortgage deposit. You've got the solicitor, you've got the survey, you've got the broker, you've got to make sure that there's insurance in place. You've got to make sure that the certificates are in place. Hopefully the seller does that bit. You've got stamp duty at 3% on every property. If you're going to ever buy more than three properties or you're a higher tax rate payer, then your financial advisor would advise you to buy into a limited company. So you've got some costs to set up the limited company and a bit of extra legal advice. And then You've still got a property that may need some repairs. So you need to have a budget there. So I tell my clients, even though the house prices are 100,000-ish, that you need somewhere in the region of 40 to 50,000 as your cash amount before you buy your first property. And you should think of that amount for every property. So what you're doing is stick, and again, keep the maths nice, little 50,000 pounds into these assets. And out of that, you're getting a sort of a 7% return. So it is something that is more for a medium appetite than it is for a lesser appetite. But that doesn't mean to say that if you've got a less appetite or capacity, that you as a family can't all eat at the table together. Because why not? Particularly if you were putting it in a company, you could create a limited company and I'm not a financial advisor, et cetera, et cetera. But you could create a limited company in which mum, dad and two siblings were all, you know, part of the shareholders and and you could all join in. Sure. If you've you've got an amicable family that you you know you're not going to fall out with. (laughs) There is that. There is that. Yeah. I mean, and and you have to be very clear on your outcomes. I mean, I've done it. I've invested with my sister and also with my partner's brother-in-law. So I've been there. But, you know, we used to sit at the table and have board meetings and we discussed our values and our objectives and everything else. So it was like like almost professionally sort of thing rather than just, you know, at the roast dinner, having, having a glass of wine saying, Oh, I found this property the other day. What do you think? It it was much more. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a business. Yeah. It is a business. Whether you own one deliberately or accidentally, it's a business model. 
And like all businesses, you've got to know what the product is, what the what the client wants, who the client is, how much they're prepared to pay, and whether it's even worth your while running this business. And I think the only thing I would pick up also from what you were saying is, I'm not a great one for putting one property in one town, one in another, because the hardest thing about the properties is almost too easy to buy, right? It's not easy to make money from it. That's where the effort is. So you've got to buy well in the first place, but you've got to manage it for five or 10 years to make sure that it's going to make money. So you want a decent letting agent. If you have two towns, you've probably got two letting agents and that takes more time and one works their system one way and one the other way. So if you do a little bit of, you know, in business, it's called economies of scale. You have one area in which you have maybe two, three, five properties, but you have them in different postcodes within or different streets within. Yeah. Then you're diversifying within an area. You then create your little pod of five or 10 properties. And then you can think about, right, what do I want to do next development or something else? And I'd also be very cautious. Don't fall for the new builds because you're paying a premium think of a brand new car you buy a brand new car as soon as you drive it off the forecourt it's not worth what you paid for it you need to have that analogy in mind for any new property and don't buy i say don't buy do your best to buy houses rather than flats because flats come with a degree of lack of control because there's a freeholder who's in charge not you you have permission for this piece of space but they own the block the ground and they make the rules and they set the fees that you have to pay um whereas with a house you're in control and I, um control is everything in the success of a business for me 100 so i'm getting from all of that you can't do it on a shoestring even if you're buying a smaller cheaper property up north it can't be done on a shoestring so investing wise i just think you need to be very aware of your circumstances, your risk profile, and how you're going to mitigate the risks of investing. As you said, what if the tenant doesn't pay? What would you do about it? Now, if you've got an answer for all the risks, yeah, which quite frankly, when I went into it, I wasn't making any money at all. I went into it with my partner, my sister, and my brother-in-law as a way that I could be one of those low-earning people that got into property. Yeah, and I, I was a landlady, um, so I've got some scary stories about that. Um, and it's not to say I won't ever be a landlady again, um, but I was an accidental one. They call it an accident, an accidental one. It wasn't accidental. I did actually intend to do it. Um, but we had a flat when my partner and I, when we first met, and we bought uh, that we rented it and we bought it. Um, and then when we moved to our second house, we kept that flat and rented it out. And um, it had quite a good yield on it. We, had, we actually built up quite a lot of equity in it. Um, so then when we sold the second house and we wanted to move on to our third house, it was actually better to sell the flat um, because we needed we needed the money. Actually, that's not true. We managed to keep it, actually. Um, but there was a lot of work needed doing to our house, the third house that we bought. And as much as I, 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 I you know, for quite a while, I tried to keep hold of the, the flat and um, we had a terrible tenant in there. And uh, at the time when we first started renting out, landlord insurance wasn't like it is now. Mm. Um, and I hadn't reviewed it. Anyway, they were, they were a nice couple that lived there and he left her. Um, and then she basically stopped paying the rent because he was worked. She didn't work. She only worked part time. 
And to get onto the housing um, ladder, she had to be evicted. Evicted, yeah. So I had to then wait for a certain amount of period, go through the court process. And it was horrendous. I can only imagine now after COVID it being 10 times worse to the point I had to ring up the court bailiff and beg him to come sooner rather than later. I said, I don't care when you come in the, in the in real essence because she's not going to be there I just need a date on that letter to be as soon as possible not another six months not another three months because she's going to take that letter straight away and then she'll leave I guarantee yeah. when you get there you won't have to do anything she won't be there yeah um, and we lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds but we were in a position that we could just about afford to pay for both mortgages um, but it was it was a horrendous stressful experience that I never yeah. want to go through again. It can be it can be awfully stressful, but at the same time, because you kept that property, you were able to fund the redevelopment or potentially for other people the purchase of something else. And yeah. I think that's the thing is, you know, any business could go wrong. Your business could go. Wrong. I mean, my business in 2020, half of my business is about advising people how to live a wealthy life. The other half is about helping them to invest in property. The property market shut. I couldn't buy a house. I couldn't see a house. We got houses in the process. Everything just ground to halt. The business dies basically at that moment. And then the other side is I want to have a conversation with you about your wealthy retirement and the future life you think. And all you're thinking is, well, they've just invented COVID. I might even be dead in six months. So nobody <laughs> wanted that side of the business. Yeah. You know, but if I hadn't had the portfolio, yeah, I would have been stressed. And so whatever, whatever bumps I've had along the way. So, you know, taxi drivers, they invent the congestion charge, or you know, there's government, the market, the environment the customers, the suppliers, that's all part of a business and property is a business. And there I are- I, saw it. I didn't see it as a business at the time. It was that accidental piece where it was like coincidental. Yeah. It's not like I went, okay, I've got some money. I'm going to go and buy a property. Yeah. And I wouldn't have bought that flat because the it had, had a great, actually had a garden on it, but that wasn't part of the deeds. Um, but the benefit was, and, and it had quite, it wasn't an expensive um, lease, but- it was still a lot of uh, maintenance. You know, they wanted to paint and decorate the hallway every year, for example. Um, and they had a gardener and etc. cetera. Um, but I sold it um, with a 65 grand, 70 grand profit on it. That, so, nice. You know, it's, 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 it's all good. Like it's, it's fine. Absolutely. Now. It's not to say I wouldn't do property in the future, but I would definitely view it very differently. I think maybe when I'm, I'm not so much working in the business that I've currently got, and I, I'm going, OK, let's let's find a little bit more way of leveraging got the time, yeah, got the time to do it. Then, yeah. then I would. And, I and some people I come would. to. Yeah. Some people come to me when they're in your position where they're working in the business. And what they want to do is create a way that they can step out of the business a few days a week. And so they use it as part of their planning. Part of their portfolio, so, yeah. Yeah. So that they leverage the the success of the current business so rather than growing the current business with them with the money that it's got they use the money then the business to create in a sense another business that isn't time intensive but yeah. would allow them to have that luxury to to go down to four and days a week do, i know accountants to, to rec- suggest and I'm, I'm not an accountant but i know some accountants that have suggested that you can take profits out of that limited company and do a director's loan over to the yes. new company and you can basically have your deposit paid for through your current business yes and that's what a lot of my customers do a lot of my customers will set up another limited company which is in their names 
and then use director's loans or sometimes even direct. They use a combination of things, director's loans. They might remortgage their homes because typically sort of they might be in their, their 40s, even early 50s. So they paid down a lot of the mortgage. Fancy re- releasing a couple of hundred from there, take a couple of hundred out of the, the business and hey, presto, they can then create this portfolio that then yeah. means that one or other of them could then choose to retire early or to cut down. Again, if you go back to those avatars where you've got the woman who's the homemaker and and, and the other partner is the financial provider, frequently they are exhausted and stressed. Not to say that the one that is the homemaker isn't exhausted and stressed in a different way. It's a different kind but, of burnout. It's a different but kind the of pressure, the, the pressures are different. There's joy that comes with the pressure of worrying about your children. There's not always joy that comes with the pressure and the stress of being an, a senior employee, making money for somebody else's business. Yeah. And frequently I have conversations with people where it's, it's the homemaker saying, I want my other half to cut back on their hours. I can see how stressed they are. Totally, yeah. I've got my own business going here. And if, you know, if we did this, then we could do that. And it's, it's all those equations. You remember the X plus Y equals Z, but if you put this over here, then Z minus X equals Y. It's having all of those little pieces in play. And you and I have spoken about it. Sit down, look at all your money, have conversations with people like Rebecca, understand the tax benefits of each asset class. Look what you've got in each class. And then if you don't have anything in property, which is where your capital gain can come into effect, but also where you could have your limited company and let the profits accumulate in there and only be paying 18% when you when you get round to making your profit because cash flow and profit are separate things. Um, you know, create that plan and go into it with your eyes open, understanding that it's a business, understanding the pros and the cons, the risks and how you can mitigate them and then get the right advice, which is what my clients come to me for. And then I can help them move forward. So I've got one last, before we wrap up today, I've got a really, it's quite, it's quite a big question. Um, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Now, typically when you, when you say this particular question, some people say, well, I won't have one, but I, I think it's always important in any business to have an exit strategy. Yep. And I think that applies to property as well. Because there is a point where I've got other clients who have elderly parents with property portfolios and they are elderly to the point where they don't want to be speaking to estate agents. They don't want to be dealing with the the boiler broken. um, They don't want to be dealing with all of this. So there has to be at some point a, a thought process around, okay, I'm in retirement, but at some stage, what's the exit strategy? Is it to keep it? and and, and, and get hand hand the limited company over or hand the portfolio over to somebody else or is it to clear the mortgages down over time so you have a repayment mortgage and you actually clear the debt down so you have a greater less income in that time but a greater asset because you've cleared the debt down or is it that you just pay the interest and then when you obviously sell that debt down you will have the same sort of capital gains tax liability that wouldn't really be any different um, but you've obviously got less net in the bank because you haven't drawn that debt down. You've only got the difference between the two. And therefore, what do you then do with that money? Because from a tax perspective, like you mentioned previously, there's capital gains tax to pay on that. Do you do that maybe only one property a year? 
do you do that every other year there needs to there is needs to be a strategy and a thought process so when you're talking to your clients about when they're how to get into property are you also talking to them about the exit strategy and what that what that might look like for them because that will plan out what decisions they're making now at the beginning yeah so I, I interestingly not so much on day one because the way I look at it for the bulk of my clients because one is typically earning in the higher tax rate or potentially both of them are their best route is to buy through a limited company so then what you're in a position is that you've got this box that all your properties are kept in so you have shareholders with the children the children can have you know shares in it you can choose to give them dividends as you work your way through so you don't give them pocket money anymore you give them a tax-free uh dividend out of the business that teaches them if you if you've bred enough children and trained them right there's a probability that one of them will like the property and then will take over the running so that's great so there's one exit strategy the other one is that if none of your kids like property and then you don't like property, then you've got many options. But if you think about this as a long term goal and the bulk of my clients, as I say, are, are probably somewhere when they really get going somewhere in their 40s, maybe even early 50s. They've got a minimum of 20 years before. And again, for a lot of them, proper retirement, proper yeah. stopping not that that's English, but proper stopping is on their radar. So what I have said to all of them is, look, the first thing we're doing is we're getting into a five-year plan. So you're going to have these properties and we're going to have them for five years. And what we're going to do, because I work with them very closely for the first 12 months of every property, to make sure that that property is embedded in the business system, that they know how to take over the reins and manage the business system so that the business is a profitable business as we go. We're then scheduled to speak at year four and go, okay, so you've got these few properties. It's coming up for the point at which you could remortgage because it usually isn't worth rolling over, but let's let's see what the plan is at the time. What 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 circumstances you're in now? What are your thoughts? And I had one client, for example, um, Ross. He's not going to mind me saying his name because you've got to work out which Ross it was. But, you know, Ross had a corporate job. When he first came to me, he said, I want to give up work. I'm missing the lives of my children. By the time we've worked together for four years, he's got a substantial property portfolio. He changed his job to a different job that gave him more joy. But he was still in the corporate world. He was still traveling to London. And then roll on a couple more years, particularly with the hit of COVID, and he's decided that he's going to buy into another business model. So now he's fully in the entrepreneurial space. He's got a property business that makes enough money that has left him feeling secure yeah. that he can now start another business and that will give him enough money and he can step completely out of the corporate world. Maybe some would say still have the same amount of stress but he's the maker of his own stress. He's the boss of his own two businesses. And by having the two businesses, he's got the fairly low time requirement for the property business, which allows him to focus on the other, but that's providing him with this cash flow. So he's, he's poodling yeah. forward quite happily. Yeah. But then I've also got people that I know that have got older parents who've got significant property portfolios. We're talking, you know, potentially 20 properties up. 
And they, as the sibling, or you know, the, the kid level, although they're adults now, are just not interested in it. And you've got options then. You could take a portion of the properties, clear the mortgages on the other, then have a batch of properties that are mortgage free and you just benefit from the income, but you just need a maintenance and tenant finding team. If it's big enough, you have an employee. If it's small enough, you use a letting agent that you trust. And again, you fall back into that system of you manage the letting agent, you monitor the properties once a month. And maybe if, for example, I don't know, you're getting two, three grand tax free out of a property portfolio for a couple of hours a month, you'd put up with that inconvenience, you know? But equally, you could go your way through and then pick a property that you want to sell each cycle so that. You know, like maybe every five years you kick one out, um, you use the money from that to pay down one of the others. And gradually, by the time you've got to 20 years, you've paid some off, you've sold some, you've kept some. But it's it's actually, I think, very difficult today to go. Right. I have I've got all my information. I'm making the decision to invest in property and I know exactly what the future is going to hold. COVID proved that we don't know what the future is going to hold. Are we going to have another recession? How are we going to pay back all of all of the taxes that have got to happen? We don't know what's, what's happening in the future. But what's quite nice is to be in a position where you can get into five-year periods of stability. Mm. So I've got this five years and I know what my outgoings are. I know I'm going to manage them properly. I know I can cope with managing them. I know I'm going to get this sort of return. And then in four years, I'm going to think, what are my circumstances like? If you did this earlier in your life, because there are, although I talked about typically the the 40s, 50s, I've got a few clients that are in their probably early 30s now, who've had those phenomenal city-based jobs or corporate jobs, and, and a couple of them even global jobs, where they are making gazillions. And now they're thinking family. And actually, what the property portfolio is doing is providing, and, and we haven't sort of, somehow we went down sort of the pure property, but if we tap back into the female side of things, you create that business and have that business and you can be joint shareholders if you want but that provides the income for the mother of the children of the family then all of a sudden a she feels more secure b she's got a regular income without working other than a a couple of days a couple of hours a month to to monitor the properties and you're you're talking about a completely different tool then that is mm. so empowering that actually that's the sort of thing where then when that gets going and the children get a bit older, those are the women that then move into development and then they'll pick a property closer to wherever they're based, do the property up, flip the property out or do the property up, rent the property out and they'll start to get the bug because it becomes the business. Yeah, I get it. Well, you've shared so much with us today, Vicky. I really, really appreciate you sharing your experience and your knowledge and um, taking my, uh, my taking my questions for the audience and the listeners um, so just so we can finish up with it how do people connect with you how, what's the best place um, to come and if they want to come and have a chat with you and find out how they can work with you sure well I think the easiest thing is if you can spell my name you can probably find me online so my <laughs> website is vickywoshay.com and uh, Rebecca will put all of these in the notes but it's v-i-c-k-i remember it's an i 
And then Wushe is W-U-S-C-H-E. So you can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, all those sorts of places. You can even email me, Vicky at Wushe-associates.co.uk. So there's plenty there that, that you can you can get at me. But if you go to the website, under the resources tab, there is tons of stuff there. There's the books are all listed. There are workbooks for you. I've even got an online um, audit where you can check out your thoughts about what wealth means and a wealthy life means to you. Um, there's all the articles that I've written. Um, so there's there's plenty there for you to do. And of course, you know, when you're ready, book a complimentary call. I'll happily have a, a conversation with you and try and tease out what your what your opportunities are amazing well thank you so much for your time today Vicky I've really enjoyed it do go and connect with uh, with Vicky of course and um hopefully you'll come back and talk to us again soon very definitely love to I think you've still got more questions so you'll have to have. invite me back yeah, I have. <laughs> thank Take you care, everyone. thank you for joining us on today's episode of accelerate your wealth For further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. For any regulated advice, please do head over to www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk